Dwight Eisenhower was quoted in saying this, in order to be a leader, a man must have followers. To have followers, a man must have their confidence. Hence, the supreme quality of a leader is unquestionably integrity. Without it, no real success is possible, no matter what is on a section gang, on a football field, in an army, or in an office. If a man's associates find him guilty of phoniness, if they find that he lacks forthright integrity, he will fail. His teachings and actions must square with each other. The first great need, therefore, is integrity and high purpose. We are at the section of the book in 1 Timothy about leadership, elders. It is interesting, um, again, just to kind of let you uh, have a, maybe a, a little look in um, when schedules change and things like this. Like I was not supposed to speak on this passage. Um, things got rearranged a little bit. The reason I say that, I think it's interesting that, um, you know, out of our speakers, it's, let's say maybe it's easier for me to speak about elders than being an elder. There's always that card of how much can you actually say if you're talking about yourself. I have a freedom. I'm not talking about me today. Right? And so I say that because, um, Obviously, eldership is extremely important in the assembly. It's going to go along again with the book. For some reason, this seems to be a book, uh, as I've looked at and studied, that it's, I don't even know how to say it. It's one of the first books that I constantly think of chapters one through up to whatever we are. Like, these are very interesting portions that if you just take this section, you will miss a lot. This is one of those running themes that he has been talking about in the whole letter. Remember, as we said, it's a letter to a young guy who Paul is discipling, Timothy. And he's talking about how to conduct yourselves in the house of the Lord. Um, and so this is not just a, oh, now we're going to talk about this. There's a running theme here with 1 Timothy. So we'll start in chapter 5 and verse 17. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 17. Let the elders who rule, how's puberty? <clears throat> Hold on. That was embarrassing. Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. Those who are sinning rebuke in the presence of all, that the rest also may fear. I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that you observe these things without prejudice, doing nothing with partiality. Do not lay hands on anyone hastily, nor share in other people's sins. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and your frequent infirmities. Some men's sins are clearly evident, preceding them to judgment, but those of some men follow later. Likewise, the good works of some are clearly evident, and those that are otherwise cannot be hidden. Let's look to the Lord. Lord, thank you again for another time where we get to open up this amazing uh, word of God that's living and breathing and active. And again, Lord, um, I think it's just, as we said so many times, even this section of 1 Timothy, that it would apply to all cultures, all times, anywhere on earth. This is your 
way of doing things. And so help us just to line up with the way you would have it to be done. Again, Lord, we pray that as we go through this book that we would have change here in this assembly, that we would not just be those who hear it and think, wow, we got a lot of knowledge, but somehow try to apply it to our lives and to Brantford Bible Chapel as this uh, work that you have established. And so uh, we just need your help and your guidance as we um, go through these things and we thank you for your spirit we pray that your spirit would do a mighty work this morning be honored and glorified above all in your name amen first timothy chapter five we're going to go verse by verse here okay we'll start here in verse 17 let the elders who rule Ooh, some of you might actually not like that let the elders who rule. Just some of these sidebars. Again, this is where we feel like biblically there's a plurality of leadership. And verses like this is one of them. Okay, it's always talking about a plurality of leaders in the New Testament. Um, and churches do that differently. But that's why we would have elders here. Okay, this is one of the verses that would back that up. But it says the elders who rule. To rule simply means to be over, to superintend, to preside over. Okay, to be over, to superintend. Remember, in some um, translation, I might even say the overseers. Okay, they are presiding over, superintending over the assembly. We know that Christ is the head of the church. Um, we always go to him for guidance and his word to tell us what to do. Okay, it's not like elders get to just kind of make up what they want to do by themselves. However, as mentioned previously, I know that I've even said this in some of the messages I preached in 1 Timothy, a lot of this has to do with who's responsible. Okay, who is responsible? If um, someone came in here and went on the pulpit and said a lot of false teaching. Now, you guys could address that, I guess, as the assembly, but it's almost like, if you're honest with yourself, you want an elder to stand up and say, uh, that wasn't okay, right? You, you want that if there's danger in the assembly. And so we have no problem putting responsibility on the elders when something bad comes up. Okay, but they're also responsible also for the good. We should be encouraging in that as well. And so this whole idea of let the elders who rule just again, they are over or superintend over the assembly. These guys who do should be well counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in word and in doctrine. Double honor is very interesting to interpret. Um, I would say it means twofold if you look at it in the original. Okay, so it's two different types of honor. It's not like, ooh, I get a double portion. Okay, some would say that, but I don't, I'm not lined up with that. Um, but it would be twofold. In other words, there's two types of honor here. What are they? One is honor of simply respect. Respect for the office, respect for the elders, giving them honor that's due them. And the other is actually payment, an honorarium, if you call it. That they would be worthy of pay. Woo! Here we go. Okay, so it says, especially those who labor in the word or doctrine. So as we go through this, I'm just going to try to break this down a little bit. Number one. How are we doing at respect 
or elders, um, especially those who labor in word and doctrine. So even again, there's a little sidebar here. Not every elder has to preach from the pulpit. It's saying especially those who are laboring in word and doctrine. And you'll see here that word labor is really important for this passage. It's those who are putting in work. They're putting in work. Okay? And I'll tell you that um, it, it's just a question I would ask of how good are we doing at giving respect to not just the elders here at the assembly, but to all those who are actually doing a work, those who teach. Now, this is where it's weird because I'm teaching to you. <laughs> okay? But do we respect the labor they've put in? I will tell you that, um, and this is not that I've not been blessed the same way at Brantford, but um, I was the speaker of a youth conference, um, Spanish Assemblies in New York City. It was great, and uh, I, don't know, I was by like 100 teenagers. Um, a lot of adults come to the youth conferences. I don't understand that at all. But uh, a lot of people, and I was just completely pumped because there was a bunch of Spanish food coming um, right after I spoke. So, you know, that's the way you show me love. So um, I remember speaking, getting done, and like everyone's kind of going downstairs. And again, I'm just trying to be, you know, I could care less in some ways. I have to be careful how I say this, that I was a speaker, right? I'm just enjoying the time. Well, I try to just get in line, and someone pulls me out of line, and I'm like, oh, someone, someone needs to say something to me about what I said. <laughs> um, and they're like, oh, no, no, no. They're like, we already made you a plate. I'm like, what do you mean you made me a plate? They had already made me a huge plate of food, maybe two, actually. Um, they brought me into the kitchen. All the women preparing the food were like, oh, thanks so much for speaking. We already, we already made this for you. We want to make sure you got kind of like the best part of, there's like 100 people in line. They're like, but you're the speaker. You, you get this. We set this aside, making sure you're going to get the good food. Now, again, I would speak there every week. <laughs> um, but I, it, I, I will say this like, again, it was just kind of like personal me opening up to you. Like, that was awesome. Like, that was un... Yeah. That's all you have to do. Because um, I will say this, and again, it's not to um, downplay anywhere. I have definitely spoke places where no one talked to you. Right? No one. Like, you go in, you prepare, you speak, and you leave, and no one said a word. So for me, to, that stuff happens, guys. And the reason I'm saying that is when we talk about respect of elders, these guys have been elders for a long time, okay? And, when, and we just kind of do life together, right? And then we start to think, when's the last time we actually said thank you? When's the last time we actually did something for them, right? It, life goes on. Life goes on. And so I'm telling you, and that, that was just... Really amazing for me to be a speaker and go, oh my gosh, and all it was was a plate of food. But for them to sit there and be like, hey, we, we, we want to respect you. We see that you prepared for this youth conference. That was amazing. That was absolutely amazing. Okay? So this next part here, when we talk about labor, okay, and it is twofold. You can give them respect and maybe payment. Okay, so for verse 18 there it says, For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Okay, you shall not muzzle the ox. It's actually quoted here. It's quoted in Deuteronomy, and it's also quoted in 1 Corinthians 9. So let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 
We'll start in verse 3. Okay, of 1 Corinthians 9. This is the Apostle Paul. My defense to those who examine me is this. Do we have no right to eat and drink? Do we have no right to take along a believing wife, as do also the other apostles, the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? Whoever goes toward his own expense, who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its fruit? Who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock? Do I say these things as a mere man, or does the law say the same thing also? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Is it oxen God is concerned about? Or does he say it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he who plows should plow in hope, and he who threshes in hope should be partaker of his hope. If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? Okay, so the idea here of um, don't muzzle an ox. They would have oxen, these huge animals, and they'd throw down a bunch of corn or throw down a bunch of wheat, and them stomping on it would kind of separate all the corn or the wheat. It was a way to, you know, instead of by hand doing it, you use animals to do it. And one of the things they said actually way back even in Deuteronomy was do not put something in that oxen's mouth that as he's walking, doing your labor, breaking all this stuff up, he can't eat some corn on the way. He's worthy to eat if he's doing all this work in fruit of his labor. You're getting all this corn kind of deal coming out, or grain, I mean, and um, they're able to eat the grain as they're breaking it up. Don't sit there and say, you're just going to work and not be able to partake in this at all. And so outside of leadership, this is kind of a biblical theme again, is that we work for a reason, guys. Okay? The Lord does not want us to simply work just for the fun of it. We work for payment. We do do that. And it's always what is the payment that people get confused about. Okay, so right here again is, even in 1 Corinthians, Paul is talking about going, okay, guys, time out. Like, even if we put off that we don't need to be physically paid by you, or, you know, it's funny how many restrictions people can put on leadership and say, you know, leader's not supposed to enjoy that. Or um, I I'll tell you, I won't, I won't drop a name. But I would tell you, there's full-time workers that I, I've been, um, it's just been fun. I went to like the Big E with them and watched them drop $100 on food. And my first thought, what? You're a full-time worker. You can't spend that much money at Big E. And I'm sitting there going, what am I thinking right now? What am I thinking? Like, why? I have no idea where they got the money. No idea. And why aren't they worthy to just go have a good time as I'm dropping money at Big E? Spending money? What, what, why those thoughts come into my head that, hey, you're a full-time worker. You shouldn't be able to have that much money to spend on these things. That's very interesting. It's very interesting. And so the laborer is worthy of his wages. Okay? So let's look at Psalm 128 and this idea that employment is worthy. Psalm 128 says, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. When you eat the labor of your hands, you shall be happy, and it shall be well with you. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the very heart of your house. 
your children like olive plants all around your table. Behold, thus the man shall be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you out of Zion, and may you see the good of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Yes, may you see your children's children. Blessed is everyone who uh, fears the Lord, who walks in his way. When you eat the labor of your hands, you should be happy. It should be well with you. Your wife will be a fruitful vine in the very heart of your house. Your children like olive plants around your table. Look, it's tough being a dad. It's tough sometimes being a husband. And even back here in the Psalms, it's saying you fear the Lord. You try to do things biblically. You should reap that benefit of a loving wife who grows and you see her grow and she produces her own fruit and she impacts people in life and you watch your children around their table and they grow up and they're strong and you see them start to make an impact for the kingdom and you're a tight family and you can come around the table and have a good time and just enjoy food and have a nice time where everyone actually feels loved and feels comforted and feels peaceful that's the fruit of your labor you follow the Lord you do what he tells you to do, you will be blessed. These things are the payment for you putting forth the effort as a husband, for trying to lead, for trying to make Christ the center, for trying to raise your kids godly, for trying to be a good husband for your wife. All those things, trying to fear the Lord, that can be yours if you do it. It can be yours, and there's payment for that. Okay, so God is not a God that just says, you just obey and do all these things and don't worry about a thing. The prosperity gospel is trying to make the pendulum swing the other way that we're so like, ooh, we don't, we don't want to think we get anything from serving the Lord. We just, we just do it. No, it's not on us to claim a, a payment, but it's from the Lord saying, listen, you will be rewarded if you live this life out. And maybe not the way you think, but he is the giver of good gifts. He is a rewarder to those who diligently seek him. That's what the scriptures say. You're not going to go against what the Bible says about them. So, when it comes to this labor of elders, I also just want to get really kind of practical again, because sometimes it's, it's interesting, when do these conversations come up? But today we're in 1 Timothy 5, so they get to come up. How much time do you think it takes to be an elder? Ooh, I can talk about it, because I've been one. How much time do you think it takes to prepare a sermon? Some people are shocked. I, I told you before, but people at work, it's so funny. They literally think sometimes, they've asked me this, they're like, do you just kind of get up there and start talking? I'm like, what? No. I'm like, it's study. And then I'm telling you right now, I'm on, like, I'm on that, that humble card, like, well, you know, don't, don't worry about it. And I, they're clueless. So like, you just start getting up there and talking. I'm like, no. <laughs> I was like, it's hours of study. They're like, hours? I'm like, yes hours guys if you don't know it is typically 10 to 15 hours a sermon 10 to 15 and that's with normal passages <laughs> get into the hard ones now again preachers can only do an hour worth and get up there i don't know but i'm telling you, I've, I've talked to a lot of guys who speak it's about 10 to 15 hours now look at those people who are speaking once twice a month going out other places I've spoken at weekend conferences. I got to speak four to five times. I've spoken at camps where I spoke seven to eight times, 10 times, 12 times in a week. Do the math. 100 hours easily in preparing for a camp where you're speaking. Now, again, these are weird conversations, guys. But at some point, these got to be said out loud. <laughs> it's a lot to prepare 
10 to 12 messages for a week. It is tiresome. It is gruesome. And it is not something like I can prepare games for a camp at any point because I'll just be that guy that's funny and like try to like make a game and there's no consequence. You don't get the freedom to just kind of go, eh, maybe this message won't be that good. You're speaking on behalf of the Lord. You can't back down. You can't sit there and just not do a good job. You have to prepare. It's work. The elders who are also speaking and doing work. So somehow we don't think it like counts when they've worked all day and then they have to go travel to go visit someone. They leave their house at 5, get to the person's house at 5.30, leave that house at 9, get back at 9.30. How many hours was that? How many hours was that? It's amazing how many hours people put in. And somehow, if we were putting in those kind of hours at our physical jobs, we would want compensation. Now again, I'm not saying we should pay our elders, right? We'll talk about that in a little bit. But a frame of mind is interesting. If you guys were doing extra work at your job, you'd want compensation. To the stay-at-home mom, we do the same thing, right? Not getting a paycheck, but how dare, you know, you fool around and go, is she really working? See what happens. Right? But right away, like, no one would ever say that in the presence of mothers. Right? Because everyone right away goes, wait a minute, she's doing how many hours? How many, it doesn't matter if she's not getting paid. How many hours is she doing? How long does it take? Okay? Somehow, and again, this is more than eldership. There's people that do things here at the assembly. How many hours does that take? Not everyone needs to be paid, but it should at least be respected. The laborer is worthy of wages. It's just what the Bible says. <laughs> we have... Um, so again, elders should receive respect, and we should be open to even maybe the idea of one day paying um, elders, or what we call full-time workers. We've had full-time workers here, okay? So the pendulum kind of swings. Here's what I mean by that. I have also uh, been with brothers and sisters in the Lord that, like, they wanted to do a church plant, and they need a salary before they start the church plant. So I'm not, I'm not there. I don't like that. Really? Okay, right? But there's also this piece of, if you talk to full-time workers, people like Scott Dungerton, who's been here numerous times, like, how did you get to that point? Literally, Scott was like, I was putting in 20, 30 hours a week of ministry to the point where I could not do my job and this job as well in my ministry. And so he actually prayed about it, and then he dropped his regular job to like 20 hours a week so he could have more time doing the Lord's work. And then it got to the point where he actually said, I have, I have enough work to do what a normal works week, you know, weeks, a normal work week hours looks like doing ministry. And so I just say that here for, for Brantford Bible Chapel. If it comes to the point where there is so much work to be done that a temporal job here on earth that someone is doing, like an elder is doing, 
can we support them financially so that they can spend all that time doing this work instead of worrying about their other job? I think we should be open to that. We should be open. All right. It says they're worthy of it. Again, when we talk about this, it does not mean, okay, that they have to. <laughs> it just means they're worthy of it. Okay? All right. How do what what is the the payment, so to speak? What is the payment of this? I think you could pay someone the elders, three different ways. One, you could just literally give them respect, <laughs> right? You could give them respect, verbal respect, okay? Two, you could give them actual payment. Three, you could allow them to see fruit of their labor. So let me put it at my secular employment, if we call it secular, okay? Uh, so again, I'm a teacher, transition teacher. There's, it's a great day if I'm sitting there in front of parents who don't know me and my boss goes, hey, Mr. Clifford is great at connecting with these kids and making sure they feel comfortable to get a job. Trust me, your kid will be dealt with good if they're with Mr. Clifford in his class. That's giving respect. Makes me feel great. Makes me feel like I can go to my job Monday. Someone appreciates what I do, right? Then every other Friday, I get paid. I like that paycheck. Makes me able to eat and maybe even have fun besides just paying bills, okay? I don't go to work. I tell my students all the time, I don't go to work just to see you lovely cherubs. I'm getting paid, and I need to get paid. <laughs> and then there's also that piece where you are doing a work in which there's just such a, a joy and a payment just from seeing the fruit of your labor. So in other words, when you're like for me, again, I'm trying to get my guys to kind of live independently and get jobs on their own. But when my student gets a job, they get a job at like ShopRite. They're like, Mr. Clifford, I got my first paycheck. It was $400. I've never been more rich in my life. Okay, and they're sitting there writing like, hey, McLeary, how, how do I, you know, how do I, what do I do with this check? And, and how do I even ask for more hours? And man, I'm so excited that I'm working and like, I, I might be able to get out of your program. That is so great. That is such a great payment for me. Like, hey, great. Okay, you, I see the fruit of what's going on. So let's just talk about being an elder. Okay, how do we literally show respect? to these guys. How do we show respect? We can do it verbally, okay? We can not argue, okay? That's coming down uh, the, the, the chapter here a little bit. There's a lot of different ways you can show these guys respect. Should we pay them? Okay, there, again, there, there's different times where elders might need to be paid, a lot of times where they don't need to be paid. Would it be completely weird if randomly the deacons decided to give them a monetary gift once a year, would that be weird? I don't think so. I don't think so. Now again, here's why I get to say all these things. 
The elder's not going to stand up here and say, we should give a monetary gift to the elders once a year. It's just not going to happen. Nor probably should it. But I will tell you this. If five or six of you went up to Ron later and said, you know, we should pray about this. What if we had to do this? Now, again, these things are weird. Okay? We're talking about something like giving a, 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 a love gift to our elders. I understand there's those are deep conversations. But what I'm also saying is that the elders aren't going to start that conversation. They're just not. That's weird. Hey, guys, I think we should get a love gift once in a while. That's just not going to happen. So that would be on us. And that would be on us being taught Scripture. Hey, they're worthy of their wages. They're worthy. Okay? Then there's finally, this is probably one of the big ones, the piece of what I was trying to say of just seeing fruit of their labor. Okay? Seeing fruit of their labor. Guys, this is, this is where it turns into, again, personal instead of like a command, all those kinds of things, right? Where the elders have asked us to be in small groups. Okay? If you're not in a small group, okay? That would be one great way to show them respect. Say, you know what? You've asked me to do this. I'm going to do it. Okay? I'm going to sacrifice my time once a week go to a small group. Bible conferences are coming. Guys, there's a lot of work. There's a lot of work in a Bible conference. There's phone calls that need to be made. There's booking. There's planning. There's organizational stuff. There's buying tickets. There's airplane tickets. Okay? There's trying to figure out the best prices so we're good with the Lord's money. They're trying to see, hey, do we just bring this person living on faith? Do we have money to give? There's a lot of spiritual stuff. There's a lot of prayer with that. There's the actual speaker coming for the Bible conference. Remember what I just said. If they speak five times, that's probably 40 to 50 hours right there of study. There's a lot of labor there. Okay. There are those outside of that who are setting up food. Who's buying that food? Who's setting up the tables downstairs? Who's cleaning up afterwards? Who's doing the sound room and posting it on Facebook? There is so much work going on. you got to recognize that. So one of the best ways to honor what the leadership is trying to do is to show up. All right, verse 19, do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. Okay, this is actually interesting because it was always the rule, so to speak, that it would be don't bring any accusation against anyone except for two to three witnesses. It's kind of funny that Paul has to address this because you could almost see someone saying, hey, that's an elder, that's a leader. I don't like something, I get to accuse them right away. Like, they're free game. Nope, we're going to need two or three witnesses to bring an accusation against an elder. Okay? You can't just accuse elders of messing up. Okay? You need two to three witnesses. They're not free game. I'm going to tell you why. It matters when you talk, or uh, even, again, this goes into gossip. If you start saying what you think an elder was doing wrong, okay? Even if they were wrong, that matters how you're talking about it, especially if you didn't talk to them face-to-face. -face. When I was in an assistant daycare director, 
my job, I kind of come out of this, this daycare and a lot of the workers were not doing the job well. We had kids that just weren't getting taken care of well. So we, we cleaned shop, me and the boss, we fired like three or four people. Uh, one of the girls that was there, we fired. I'm just at my job, it's kind of like one of those days at work. Police comes through the door, says, which one of you got the piece? I said, excuse me? He goes, which one? I said, are you talking about a gun? He's like, yeah, we got a report. One of you has a gun here in this daycare. I started laughing. I said, you got to be kidding me. I said, we just fired so-and-so. That's why you have that call. And he's looking at me. I was like, you want to go through our stuff? No problem. And the cop was like, okay. okay. I'm going to tell you this. That was one of the first times in my life I was like, this is unreal. That someone can accuse someone of something and there is no consequence whatsoever. None. I'm sitting here in front of a cop defending that I don't have a gun with a daycare. And there's n absolutely no consequence for the person who just lied and said that. And so why do I tell that story? You have to be very careful accusing someone who's trying to do the work of an elder. It has ripples. It has effects. Okay? And yet, the next verse, those who are sinning, rebuke in the presence of all, that the rest may also fear. If these elders are sinning and people know about it, okay, that's an issue that needs to be addressed in the assembly. So it's so funny. It's like, hey, be very careful about accusing elders. But I'm going to tell you this. If an elder is sinning, not has sinned, because then we would rebuke them every time, Right? It's they are sinning. This is public. The assembly knows they're sinning a lot and no one's saying anything about it. When we go through this whole thing of 1 Timothy, I can't, like, you know, it's just so amazing how much God cares about the example of the assembly, what it looks like to those in it, to those on the outside, and from the angels' perspectives. You get that a lot of times. God cares about the example of what's being done and set forth. And so you have leadership, people who are oversight, if they are sinning and no one's talking about it, that is a really big deal. Remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira. In Acts chapter 5, we'll go through it real quick for time's sake. They both lie. They both die. And I can tell you, that was like a story. I'm like, man, that's kind of messed up. Like, they lied and they get killed? But in that period of the, the start of the church, and people are giving their money and things like that, I think that there's, there's a, uh, whatever, God is justified. You know, not that he needs my backing, but that... He wanted to make an example of those people. And it says that fear went out amongst everyone else. This is not a laid-back, lackadaisical thing where you can just come in here, lie, give some money. Not a big deal. This is the church. We deal with sin. We're not looking for everyone's individual sins. But when there is sin in the camp, when sin is public, it has to be addressed. If it's not going to be addressed here at the church, it's for sure not going to be addressed in the world. So we have to be those that actually care. In verse 21, it says, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that you observe these things without prejudice, doing nothing with partiality. The word prejudice means an opinion formed before the facts are known, or partiality by invitation. The invitation is someone who seeks to draw you over to their side. What is this even talking about? Leadership is never about favoritism. It's never about putting your friends in leadership. 
or trying to put in people that you think might go along good with people. Okay, it's not one of those places. The church is not one of those things. It's like, man, this is so nice. Like, and you have some leaders and like, oh, you know, uh, I really this is my best friend. Can he just be an elder too? Like, it'd be so much fun to do this with him. And forget about all your qualification chapters that you read about before this and all that stuff. You can't sit there and have prejudice and opinion formed before the facts are even known. This goes into a little bit here of, um, you know, the idea in the next verse is going to say, don't lay hands on anyone hastily nor share in other people's sins. Okay. What that means is before you put someone in leadership, you just don't do that real fast. And this happens sometimes, like if suddenly there was someone who owned 30 acres oceanfront in Brantford, they started coming to our church and we're like, oh, we don't need Killam's Point. They're here. No, put them in leadership. Then we can use that property for the kingdom. That's not how it works. And we joke around, but that's how sometimes it happens. Okay, I remember my buddy applying to be a pastor um, down in some, I don't know, Virginia, Booneyville. And he goes, man, you should have pastored that church. I was like, okay, why? He's like, all they do is fish and hunt. He goes, and in fact, he goes, they kind of looked at me like, if you don't fish or hunt, you can't be a pastor here. Now, that's kind of funny and not. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't know if that position was filled, but... But literally, that's some of the favoritism, right? Like, there's guys in leadership like, hey, like, we, we fish here. Hey, like, we, we hunt in this church. Like, you don't do that. Like, like, what does that have to do with being a leader in a church? Everything. No, I'm just kidding. So these kind of things can happen. And Paul is very strong here saying, I charge you before God, Lord Jesus, do not do these things with prejudice or partiality. Don't be fast. Laying on of hands is just simply kind of like ordaining someone to the work. Do not do that stuff fast, nor share in other people's sins. Some of that I think commentators say, is we talked about before, all those false teachers. Like these guys come in, they're false teachers, they look really fun, they're, they're, they're attractive to people. And they're like, hey, let's just put these guys in leadership. We, we know there's some sins there, but don't worry about it. They might not have the right doctrine, but hey, don't worry about it. Like the people love them. That's what they're saying to warn against. Now, finally, as we kind of wrap up, it's interesting here, verse 23. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and your frequent infirmities. What in the world does that have to do with being an elder? Um, it's funny, again, in context, too, this is always the verse. People are like, hey, God says we can drink. God says we can drink right there in First Timothy. <laughs> okay, great. Contextually, I'm like, when I'm saying I was like, why is this verse here? But I will tell you what I think uh, it means, too. Again, Paul's writing to Timothy saying, be an example. Remember, this is a letter. A few paragraphs back, he said, set an example don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. And now you got a young guy telling older people how to lead. That is a daunting task. A daunting task for a younger guy to get the respect of an older guy and say, I'm going to teach you how to be a leader and what God says on how to be a leader. Okay? And so you can tell, look, in the verse, this is interesting where it says, no longer drink only water. Why isn't Timothy drinking? Why? I would like to assume that he's trying to be an example. 
He's not drinking because he's in this position where he's going to train people to be elders and things like this. And he's just like, I'm, I'm just not going to go near alcohol to be kind of that example. And so the reason Paul's saying this is just very interesting and always nervous to say from the pulpit is we have to be careful, right? I would love, again, like I said, no one should drink ever. Sure. Yeah, that's me. Okay. But here Paul's saying, look, you're sick a lot. <laughs> And it's probably from that water you're drinking. It's got some bacteria in it. It's okay. Can you have a little wine so you stop getting sick? Like, they need you. No one wants to, like, it's hard to train these guys if you're constantly having stomach issues. So, Timothy, don't let the pendulum swing the other way, too. Have some wine. You're okay. Now, that's a totally different concept than, yeah, the Bible says we can drink. Right? Like, it's funny. But I'm going to tell you this, when we talk about leadership and these guys being above reproach, praise the Lord, we want them to look blameless, as we do everyone, by the way, praise the Lord. And there is this reality, too, that sometimes we can try to be the example so bad that it might affect certain things, especially if we have freedoms. So I'll let you and the Lord figure out what you can and cannot do in your personal life. <laughs> okay? All right. Some men's sins are clearly evident, verse 24, preceding them to judgment, but those of some men follow later. Likewise, the good works of some are clearly evident, and those that are otherwise cannot be hidden. I think what he's saying here is this. When you're looking at making people elders, and you're looking at them, there is some that it is clear they have sin. That, that guy's always losing his temper. That guy, uh, he's just always attracted to the, uh, the opposite sex, and he, he's kind of like, he's always involved in that kind of stuff. That guy loves money. He's not going to let go of his money. There's things about people's lifestyles at times where it's clearly evident. And no matter how much you want them to be in leadership because they would bring something good to the table, there's kind of some of those verses say, listen, remember those qualifications, Remember there's a standard. Remember we don't just go, yay, come on in and do the work. And this is tougher than you think when you are working a full-time job and you have a lot of work to do, and there might be someone that will take some of that work from you. And yet there's things in their own life that might prevent them, and they got to work that out first. This is hard, guys. This is tough. It is beyond tough for an elder to say, you know what, I don't think you should do that ministry right now. You think they want to do it? Honestly, when we talk about laboring in this work, you know how tough it is for an elder to go, you know what, I just don't think you should do this. And people in the assembly go, oh, we, we need this, we need this. Like, we need, you know, I don't know, pick your thing. All right? And so it's tough to sit there and say, listen, these guys, th th these guys, you know, they're not ready for that kind of leadership. They have things in their lives. And sometimes you don't figure it out. That's what the verse says. Sometimes you won't see till later on when they are in leadership. This is not a, a safe-proof thing. You can sit there and go, man, that guy looks perfect on paper. Be an elder, and then sins come out later that you never knew about. That happens as well. And then there's the encouraging part. It says, likewise, the good works of some are clearly evident. There are those who, again, and I'll close with this, when it comes to leadership and stuff like that, remember, we're not all striving necessarily to be elders, but we're all striving to be perfect and godly. Right? And so when it says to their works are clearly seen, that means, again, we don't apply to go be an elder. 
We don't apply to go do ministries either, by the way. We don't apply like they're just normal jobs here in the church. You start doing the work. You work with it. And that's why it says their good works are clearly seen. You get involved in a ministry here, I guarantee you'll have a personal conflict with someone in the ministry. Do it long enough. And you will learn through church how to deal with personal conflict and a brother and sister. You'll learn. You'll learn how to have tough conversations. So that's what it means by clearly seen. You will learn. You will see the evidence of how they worked out in that ministry. And sometimes, you know, it comes out later even that how great they were at some of those things. But when we talk about leadership here, please, guys, let's respect them. Realize it is not something you just get more elders. It's just not the way it works. And yet we would be encouraged to say, hey, maybe we should, but as the Lord wills, pursue the Lord. See if eldership would be something you would have to do one day. What You can read your qualifications for yourself. Am I meeting these? Try to meet these qualifications, guys, girls. Try to meet and say, if, if I want to be used with the Lord, am I at least meeting these qualifications? Start working on it in your own life. Start working on these things and be those who have action. Action. And remember those who are already doing the work. They're putting in hours. Hours of work hours as unto the Lord. Respect that. Respect that. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for uh, you just being gracious and merciful. Thank you that you have never uh, broken down, that you will not grow weary in doing good. Help us to be like you. In your name, amen.